This Cultivating Place episode is dedicated to two plants people who have now passed to the great gardens and trails beyond. Rebecca Lynn Yarrow, also known as Super Elf and Super Tunia, and Wes Dempsey, Professor Emeritus of Biological Sciences at California State University, Chico, who shared with me and taught me more than I can express about the love of plant life in my region. The shining, plant-loving spirits of these two will be missed. In their own very distinct and smiling ways, they each made this garden life brighter. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As summer arrives, and with more than one million U.S. households now engaged in gardening, a number that is double what it was before the pandemic, this week on Cultivating Place, we're focusing on the power and importance of local garden programs. On air or in writing, they help gardeners grow where they are. We're in conversation with Lyons Filmer and Susan Hayes, creators and hosts of In a Coastal Garden, a bi-weekly community radio program serving their region of coastal Northern California. I caught up with Lyons and Susan a little earlier this spring, and they offer a great local garden program template for any region. Welcome, Lyons and Susan. I am so pleased to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. Hi, (laughs) and thanks for having us on the show. I gave a very basic introduction of the two of you and the program that you create and send out into the world. I'd love to have you introduce yourselves and maybe describe each one of you, you know, what, what is your organizing principle or, you know, motivating force in your relationship with plants right now in your life? Let's start with you, Lyons. As you mentioned, the time during the pandemic has been a tough time and so many people have taken up gardening. I'm really glad that we had a full year under our belts before the pandemic hit pretty wild. The motivating force for me is I just love being in the garden. It's where my sanity can often be found, if not inside my body. And uh, digging, pruning, shaping, picking flowers, picking herbs and vegetables, just a tremendously basic vital joy that I get out of being in the garden. And what about you, Susan? Tell us that same kind of idea for you. Well, I have an ongoing interest of the connection between garden and kitchen and what's going to be helpful for myself and the person that I live with. I find the garden is very soothing, nourishing, exciting, frustrating, all of those things, getting out in the yard and and trying to grow food. My partner has the, he takes care of the flowers and bulbs and things. And I really focus on the food and um, the cycle of the year has become, I, I think this intensity of being home so much and being keyed into the cycle of the year just in my backyard has been a really powerful thing for me during this this time. Yeah. And I think that will resonate with so many people uh, listening right now. 
So before we get into, you know, how you came to to start this program and start it together in your area, let's go back a little bit for both of you. And let's start with you, Susan. I'd love a little more um, context on where you were born and raised, who were the people and places and plants that grew you into a person for whom this would be an important thread in your life. And then, you know, not only in your life, but in such a way that you would want to share it uh, as widely as you as you could. I was born in the Great Lakes area. And I'm from an immigrant family, inner city kid. We lived in a little postage stamp backyard. Even though we lived in the inner city, we always had a garden. My grandmother very seriously cultivated roses, and we probably had 30 to 40 varieties in our little postage stamp yard. In addition to that, um, we did have one fruit tree. It was an Italian-style plum, and that was always a big event when that was picked, and a very exciting thing that I remember very vividly. A few tomato plants, but not, not, not really food. I was fortunate enough that we still had people in our family that lived on farms. Um, we had family in southern Ontario, just on the other side of Lake Erie from where I grew up. And I spent a lot of time there in the summers when I was a child. I mean, they really just sort of take it, took us up there and aired us out for two to three or four weeks every year. And spending time on that farm it just molded me in, in a way and connected me to the cycle that was always going on there. There were cows, there was a kitchen garden. They primarily grow, grew seed, but everything was there, all the parts, the chickens um, milking in the barn. And I, I was exposed to that all as a child and that, that little life cycle that takes place in the farm and uh, for an inner city kid just being outside like that and being so involved with the earth in a very very different way than that little postage stamp yard was very powerful and in influencing me Okay, so I want to follow up on two things that you said. Uh, the first is that they took you to get aired out in, <laughs> into the country. Like that description is just so perfect because that's what we we all need always. But I think that really became clear this last two and a half years that we all need an airing out on a regular basis for our just sanity and and health. The second thing was the the seed. So your your family were growing seed like crops for harvesting the seed to then sell the seed is that what you meant by that uh, correct yeah fascinating what kind of seed it was soybean yeah. i believe but i think that 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 was rotated sometimes they grew other uh, other things but it was extremely uh fertile land there you know that was all covered by the lakes originally so i think the topsoil is in many many feet there they were very prosperous farmers and also, I think that connection of food, the importance of food, but also the importance of those roses to your grandmother or your grandfather, whoever it was that tended those, that speaks so strongly to how important plants are to us, not just as the utilitarian, you know, food, that level of survival, but, you know, that tenacity of caring for those roses in an inner city setting when food was also important, that's a powerful testament to how much we need um, 
emotional connection and beauty, all of those things? Well, I think that we shopped really differently than a lot of families. So we went to a farmer's markets. My grandparents bought live animals and kept them in the yard. So for Easter, if we were going to have duck, they bought a duck and brought it home and finished it off. <laughs> I, I, don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of city kids <laughs> experience that. No, no. Wow. And so from there, Susan, what is your educational or career or life path that gets you to uh, Northern California, coastal Northern California? I went to college in Appalachia and I had a roommate right at the end of my uh, my schooling. And she had she had lived in California, actually, and she had she put a big garden in. And so that's like as a young adult, that was my first experience. She was very influential to me. Um, I, I was just stunned by what she could make happen out in our little backyard. And, yeah. and I took that little seed seed with me uh, when I moved for graduated from school and took a teaching job in Chicago. And of course, the yards there are very similar to the ones I grew up with. And I always grew some flowers and had a little patch of, of, of vegetables there. I mean, something very, very, you know, simple. I'm talking about like a three by three patch or a four by four patch, but I would grow lettuce and chard and, and some, and some flowers. Nice. Nice. And then how, so take us the full round. How'd you get to Point Ray Station? I was majored in art and my field was textiles and this San Francisco area ah. was really a hotbed when I was a young woman in my twenties. And I was looking for, a place where I could broaden my experience. I, I was really committed to making my living from that work. I didn't want, I wanted to be a vocation, not an advocation. And I knew there was a lot going on here. And I had a lot of connections in California, friends from college and even back to high school. So I just packed up and, and came out here. And within a few months, I was working for a company here in Point Reyes, which is pretty fortuitous, I would say. Yeah. In the fiber industry? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so great. Um, and it still really is a hotbed of uh, textile innovation. And I mean, I'm thinking of Fibershed and, you know, their work trying to bring our textile world full circle from field and pasture uh, to, you know, to home and, um, you know, sheets and clothes and trying to make a closed loop in these local economies for the textile world, which I just think is fantastic work. Yeah, it's an, it's incredible what they're doing. They're taking it a whole whole step beyond mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So Lions, what what about you? Tell take take us on the same kind of journey that brought you two finally together. And we'll get to that in a minute. But where were you born and raised and and what is the arc that makes this a calling in your life as a gardener and then as a garden communicator as well? I was born in San Francisco. Uh, my family immigrated also, but like five or six generations before. So I don't have the kind of uh, on the ground farming background that Susan does. And I'm always envious listening to you, Susan, yeah, talking yeah. about <laughs> your childhood. Uh, wow, just ooh, I, I, I get so excited when I think about 
a family farm and the kinds of things or even a, the kind of backyard yeah. and, and farm connection Susan has had that I, I feel like I'm, I must have been a farmer in a previous lifetime. That, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, so born in San Francisco and uh, lived in a few different places in around the Bay Area. Um, gardening was strictly ornamental. I, I can remember my grandparents' gardens on both sides. They had very attractive ornamental gardens, and they all did a bit of work in their gardens. But I know my father's mother, at least later in life, she certainly had a gardener, and probably when she was younger, I just don't see her uh, doing more than going out and picking flowers for the dining room table kind of thing. But we did a lot of outdoor stuff. It wasn't particularly garden related. We would go camping a lot with cousins and aunts and uncles or friends and their parents. And my mom, uh, who spent some of her childhood growing up in the country, could point out a, a number of the basic native plants that we were seeing, the sticky mm -hmm. monkey flower, paintbrush, yeah. the basic California sage, ceanothus, that kind of thing. So I, I had a tiny bit of knowledge about plants growing up. But the first time I remember being really excited about a plant was, uh, I was probably about eight or nine. I desperately wanted my mother to get me a red rose bush. I don't <laughs> remember what inspired that, but I was, I just begged and begged and begged and she finally got it. <laughs> I love my red rose bush. That's so great. I love it. <laughs> Maybe it came from Alice in Wonderland. You know, we knows? did a lot yeah. of reading of, of, you know, the old children's stories when we were growing up. Um, and when we left that house, we didn't take the bush with us. And I was a little heartbroken for a while. We moved in with my grandparents in central Marin. And what I remember from their garden, this is my mom's side, uh, my grandmother had a Daphne, the Daphne Odora. Oh, oh, to die for. Mine just finished blooming. Yes. And I, it, it harkens back to my mother in South Carolina, oddly enough. So <laughs> yeah, these, these memories are so like, like embodied in our cells once they're there. Yeah. Well, good old what's his name was right about smells and the power of smells. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I remember from that garden was there was a hedge of hydrangeas along the street. Hmm. And it was loose enough, open enough that we could crawl through it like a tunnel. And hydrangeas, you don't think of as a flower with a scent, but they have their own smell. And I just remember that odor of brushing through the leaves and the flower heads. Uh, really, really love that. So most of the time, my connection with plants was camping in the country, hiking in the country. Uh, when we lived in San Mateo, where the red rose bush was, our property, our house, back garden, we were on a street that backed onto a big open space. It wasn't a formal open space. It was just undeveloped land at that point. And my friend Jeannie and I would creep through the barbed wire fence and go off into the fields and explore, which terrified my mother because there were rattlesnakes out there. And actually a rattlesnake came into our house and lay uh, in the track, the metal track of the sliding glass door. Oh. And my father came out in his boxer shorts 
This was like an early Sunday morning with the shovel and <laughs> cut its head oh. off. Oh. <laughs> um, it really wasn't until I was in my early 30s, early to mid 30s, that I got interested in gardening because my husband and I moved to a fourplex in Berkeley that was managed by friends of ours and they were doing some vegetable gardening. It was one of those postage stamp sized gardens. And that was where I fell in love with putting my hands in the soil and growing things. And during that same period, my husband and I had decided we were not going to have children. And as I was getting more and more into gardening, I realized, well, these plants really are like hundreds and hundreds of children because I was involved with their life cycle. Uh, a seed, a little seedling, transplanting, feeding, watering. Feeding, watering, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm fulfilling my maternal instinct, of which there wasn't much, yeah. <laughs> by growing plants. Well, I, I, I'm going to refute you a little bit on that wasn't much, because if you are a dedicated gardener from then until now, that's plenty of maternal instinct. That's a lot of crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth and dying and breaking and all the things that yes. the maternal instinct calls on. This is Cultivating Place. Lions Filmer and Susan Hayes are the creators and hosts since 2019 of In a Coastal Garden, an every other week community radio program airing on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. They created their program in order to help their garden community grow. We'll be right back after a break when we hear more about the gardening zone and scope of In a Coastal Garden. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. I want to share again that this episode of Cultivating Place is dedicated to two friends and plants people from my immediate region who have both now passed to the great gardens and trails beyond. Rebecca Lynn Yarrow, a flower floozy and member of the Plant Barn staff of Long Standing, also known as Super Elf and Super Tunia, as well as Wes Dempsey, Professor Emeritus of Biological Sciences at California State University, Chico, who shared with me and taught me more than I can express about the love of the plant life in my own region. These two shining, plant-loving spirits will be missed by all who knew them here, in their very own distinct and smiling ways they each made this garden life so much brighter and richer. Lions Filmer and Susan Hayes are the creators and hosts of the Every Other Week community radio program In a Coastal Garden. They began the program in 2019 in order to help their garden community grow. And oh my goodness, did this come in handy come 2020, when new gardeners started entering this garden life by the millions, literally. As we come back, we hear more about the gardening zone and scope of In a Coastal Garden. 
I am uh, across from the wetlands here that separate downtown Point Reyes from the Inverness Ridge communities. Uh, I'm in a low, cold spot at the end of a canyon. Uh, I've got really good exposure here. I get some marine influence and um, other years seem very windy. The last two years have not been as windy on this particular site that had, in the past that has really been an issue. That's interesting. Yeah, I probably get more frost than a lot of locations here. I used to live almost within sight of here at another house and barely ever had frost there. I, I bet we've had 30 this year. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I know my succulents are really suffering. But all in all, a, a really welcoming um, climate for growing plants. I year-round have food. There's hardly a day of the year that I can't go out there and, and harvest something for my supper. So I love that, that I've observed this site pretty carefully and experimented quite a bit over the 10 years or so that I've been gardening here. And of course, timing is always um, elastic, I should say, but, uh, but I've learned when, when, for what, and how, and how, and uh, I'm able to, to garden year round here in, in terms of something to eat, something to, to cook. And maybe describe your garden, Lions, and then maybe we'll give an overview of Marin County, your your general listenership, or northern Marin, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd have to say that my husband and I left West Marin just over a year ago. We we're back in Berkeley caring for my mom, who's 90, on oxygen, doesn't drive, doing well, but so I'm gardening in Berkeley again. When we were in Marin, we gradually moved out, San Anselmo, then Fairfax, and then West Marin. We had quite a range of garden spaces, and it was warmer in central Marin than, of course, along the coast. When we were in West Marin, I was just down the road from Susan, but we were higher up, higher up the slope, and frost was not nearly the issue there as it is for Susan, but it was a sloping garden. And there were a few kind of casual terracings that had been done. But we were growing food crops and ornamentals and having a good time with it. But it's just that little bit cooler that in West Marin, I couldn't grow some plants that my mom was growing in Berkeley. Very interesting to be able to compare what would grow where. Well, and I think, you know, many listeners, because they're all over the country and and the world, in fact, will um, probably just hate the two of you when I say yes. that you're a, you're a zone 10A or something like this. I mean, it's a crazy, ridiculous, beautiful zone in many ways. You know, it's not the the four season winter, but it has its own seasons. You know, you get a lot of the coastal exposure and acidity. You get a lot of the winds. You you do get drought. And, oh, yeah. you know, the Point Reyes Peninsula, which is the kind of traditional homelands uh, of the coast Miwok people, is now, a, you know, a lot of the actual peninsula that is Point Reyes is 
is it a national seashore or national park and seashore? I, you know, it's some combination of public space and, and it looks like some of it hopefully will be rematriated in some form or another. I know that's an ongoing conversation. And the listening area of the public radio station, KWMR, is about how, how broad and what, what would your listenership be in that region? Well, I was actually the program director for uh, 18 and a half years. I retired at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic. And what we say, the station started on the cable, so it was just local listeners. (laughs) First broadcast signal in 1999, reached a fairly small part of West Marin. Eventually, a signal in Bolinas and many years later, a signal in San Geronimo Valley. That one just helped fill in because there's so many hills and valleys in San Geronimo Valley. The Bolinas signal actually reaches down into the west side of San Francisco and down the coast uh, as far as Pacifica and Half Moon Bay area. We get this from listeners. The main signal coming out of Point Reyes Station uh, reaches a lot of Sonoma County. And again, it's it's the um, the hills and and valleys that that mess with the FM signal. But we have a lot of listeners in Sonoma County. And in my job as program director, we were always looking at, okay, what kind of shows do we have? What kind of shows do we want? What does our community want? And we talked for years about having a garden program. And I was yearning to do the garden program. But at that point, No way could I do it by myself because I had too many other things going on. Susan, wonderfully, and her husband were members of the advisory board for KWMR, and Susan came on to the programming committee. And she at one point mentioned, oh, yeah, garden show, that sounds like fun. I'm too busy right now. After she sold her business, we got together and talked and discovered the ways in which we were similar in our garden experiences and different in our garden experiences. And I think that those differences and similarities make uh, for a great pairing in terms of what each of us knows can fill in for the other uh, and the kinds of guests we're interested in bringing on. Yeah, yeah. And can you add your side to that, Susan? What what did you see as uh, a compelling reason to start a program and the ways in which you and Lyons complemented each other in your your interests and your skills? Well, I love the radio. You know, I've worked in a studio most of my adult life, and the radio is always a companion for me. Lyons was at KPFA originally, and I knew her voice from there. I listened to the station a lot, and then our local stations and the other non-commercial radio stations. So I, I, when KWM started, I just found it, it just, I was just thrilled that this was something we had in our, in our community, and this was a way for us to communicate with each other. Um, the gardening show, I the idea that we would be able to create an opportunity to exchange ideas and broaden our own understanding and and um, and bring in useful information and hopefully entertaining 
as well to to the airwaves. That just was such an exciting idea for me, and um, also to build the 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 gardening community here. Lions. Um, her, our experiences are, are really different. She's really knowledgeable about native plants. I uh, really, just about all I know, I've learned doing the show. It's just, I was okay. always a wildflower fan and I'm an avid hiker and I always enjoyed, you know, viewing the wildflowers. I was out doing that yesterday, but, you know, really the shrubs and plants and I mean, I know the trees, but I still look at trees. I don't know what they are. Right. But tree. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like our experience it really dovetails really, really well. I, I don't have any experience in producing radio shows or much of, of the tech. I have a simple understanding of it, but but Lions brings all all that that to the show. And that's just a very, very important, important aspect. So I think I think we work we work well together. You know, from, and I just want to reiterate everything that you just said. One, I think that radio is one of the perfect forms of sharing gardening knowledge. It is not maybe quite as good as doing hands-on teaching and learning uh, in the garden because you can say, you can describe pruning, but until you actually see somebody do it and then you do it and then they tell you what you did a little wrong, it's just, there's nothing like that. But to be able to talk about gardens uh beyond like transcending what they look like, which is I think a hobble in many places for people that they're so worried about the perfectionistic, um, you know, examples put in front of us in glossy magazines and uh, newspaper inserts that they, they get stopped before they even get started. And so that ability to have the voice of gardening uh, shared without a preconceived notion of what it's supposed to look like. And one of the things I love about your combination is that between the two of you, you get at almost all of what gardening is is as it comes together. It is intersecting and hopefully incorporating our native ecosystems and climate appropriate plantings, uh, especially in this day and age with you know, habitat fragmentation and destruction and, you know, pollinators and other wildlife in in a lot of distress with loss. So, um, but then you also get the artistic side and you get the food side and you get the immigrant side as well as the, the you know, long established or indigenous voice. And so as you came together and started to lay out the kinds of topics you were going to have, the kinds of guests you were going to have. Tell us how that started to work out. Like share some of, of the names and the focal points in your conversations that, that really stand out for you now, three years in, and, uh, and, and why that was such a resonant conversation for gardeners in your area. Let's start with you, Lyons. I certainly assumed that because I was interested in gardening, that any listeners would be as well. <laughs> I just made that presumption from the get-go. Uh, I, I do genuinely believe that if the communicator is excited about what they're communicating, that excitement and pleasure in learning is going to come across mm. and rub off on Agreed. the, on the yes. folks. Um, when we started the show, we had a, uh, the outline was, was still a little rough, Susan had suggested the plant of the week feature, which I love. Mm -hmm. And um, 
our very first guests were the folks who own the Living Seed Company that's based right in Point Reyes Station. Right there. Uh, Astrid was on with us. Uh, her husband wasn't able to be on the phone with us. And so we started very locally uh, asking fellow gardeners, master gardeners, uh, people who showed their, sold their produce at the local farmer's market and sort of gauged what kinds of responses we got. Uh, we'd get a few emails. Uh, typically people would on the street would come up and say, oh, I heard your show the other day. I never knew that about lupins or whatever right. it was we had been talking about. This is Cultivating Place. Lions Filmer and Susan Hayes are the creators and hosts of the Every Other Week community radio program In a Coastal Garden, which airs on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. In a Coastal Garden is a great template for any garden program served fresh and locally wherever you garden. We'll be right back after a break when we hear more about the importance of local garden programs across our world. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. Remember that question I asked you last week about your favorite garden metaphors? I hope you're all still thinking about this because for some reason, I think this is really important. Appreciating these psychological and intellectual and emotional gifts of the garden, which are as rich and meaningful as all of the physical gifts the garden offers to us. This week, With both the work of Lyons and Susan and all local garden communicators everywhere, I think of so many bloggers and other podcast hosts and newspaper columnists I have followed in my life or I have loved and learned from throughout my life. Which brings me to the garden's lesson of generosity and sharing forward. This was so true of the two plants people to whom I dedicate today's episode. Rebecca Yarrow's flamboyant enthusiasm and colorful exuberance affected everyone and every plant who ever had the privilege of knowing and growing near her. Wes Dempsey's academic rigor shared with students colleagues, and indeed our entire region of plants people, public and private, in lectures and tours and social gatherings. Both of their smiles, Rebecca and Wes's, could light a small town with the generosity those smiles radiated. So again, what about you? Are there particular metaphors, messages, lessons from the garden you hold tight to? I'd love to hear them if you do. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your favorite garden metaphor lessons. We all have them, I think. And just because you are here listening with me even now, And again, at the very end of the second podcast break, I have five copies of Flora Forager's 
the fairy journals that I would like to share with you. Whoever sends me an email with their favorite garden messages, metaphors, lessons by June 1st will be added to a drawing for a copy of the fairy journals. I will pick five names on June 1st. To be added to this drawing, send me an email with your most valued garden metaphor messages. Send your email to cultivatingplace at gmail.com by June 1st, and I will happily share this lovely book with you. Lyons Filmer and Susan Hayes are the creators and hosts of the Every Other Week community radio program In a Coastal Garden, airing on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. They began their program in 2019, having no idea how incredibly useful and informative the program would be when so many new gardeners came online as of the pandemic in 2020. As we come back, Susan and Lyons and I speak more about the importance of locally fresh and relevant garden forums and information for everywhere we garden. The format of this show is that we start with the plant of the week. We ask our guest to recommend a few of their favorites, something that they might want to enjoy talking about as well or would like to share with the audience. And Lyons does the research on that. And then we... The show is a casual conversation style, so we have a very loose uh, format of questions. The show always varies from that, but it's just so something that the person feels like we're not going to um, ambush them <laughs> of, of, of anything. Um, it's like on trial. You want to know right. what some of the questions might be before what you get on the stand. What do you think about our Supreme Court nominee? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then we we try to give information about what events in the area. So the last part of the program, we announce plant sales, master gardeners workshops, um, uh, anything that a, a particular showing at a botanical garden that we think like magnolias are happening now at San Francisco Botanical. So we will we will announce those type of things and and trying to share with our listeners opportunities to learn more beyond, beyond the program. Regarding our guests, we've had um, local backyard gardeners. And because we do want the show to be local in the sense it's about not just the, the plant community, but the, the community as a whole. And I, I really love when we have our, our, our local guests on, but we've had, as Lyon said, farmers, authors, we're always seeking to find organizations that are doing unusual work, social justice programs that are garden-based. Because let's face it, gar- I mean, we've all addressed it. Gardening does change your life and does change your, your perspective. And so we always hope to, to show people the opportunity for that kind of transformation as individual and as a community. Right. And, you know, when I look back on these two and a half years, and, and I know that prior to pandemic, the, the, the census, the last full census prior to the pandemic, told us that 
38% of all U.S. households self-recorded as engaging in gardening in some fashion. You know, could be windowsill gardening, could be they are taking care of their irrigated turf lawn. I'm not sure, you know, could be the postage stamp gardens that uh, a lot of us have gardened in. Um and, you know, that that translates to 49 million households. Research is indicating that that number is almost double since the pandemic. And this gets me to the importance of a program like yours, no matter where people exist. I think that in the last 25 years, we've seen a lot of... Um, flow of garden information getting consolidated into, you know, AP reports in our newspapers on, you know, different plants or, you know, what to do in your garden. And I just, although I do now a global program, I rely so heavily on the gardeners and garden groups of my region to remind me, you know, you should be planting your carrots in August, even though that feels totally wrong. Like it's really hot and, and it's dry, but plant your carrots now. And I, I think that especially in the in the pandemic and the, the social justice reset that we experienced, you know, right on top of that, uh, the importance of regional, local expert information cannot be overstated for helping both established gardeners re-enter the garden, but also these new gardeners, they are like seedlings, right? If we do not water them and and feed them and support them in these kinds of communities, they they a large number of them or a larger number than we want will not establish as lifelong gardeners to then, you know, get those embodied memories and that um that hold that garden gardening and plant relationships take in our lives and you know i think that's one of the reasons i always start with that question about the like who were the early plants that that got you into these relationships because that's i think when people hear those stories Somewhere it is seated in their brain to help the next generation, um, no matter what age they might be, help them gather those kinds of memories and that kind of cellular knowledge and emotional response. When I when I say all of that on my sort of you know garden soapbox, tell me about the experience you've had these last two and a half years. I mean, people come up to you and say, "Oh, I heard this." Has it? Felt like there has been uh, an increased urgency for information and hunger for sharing garden community. And maybe there'd be some anecdotes you could share. I, I, I think there has. Um, locally, our Climate Action Committee has developed a series of webinars that they have done for the community visiting gardens live. So the, and, and, and the community can access those. And they also have developed a, a seedling exchange in the spring um, in this up in this area in the county and down in the southern Bolinas-Stinson area as well. And that helped a lot of new gardeners along. But I do, I do wanna make a point about, touch on something that you said, because those, those things at first 
ignited us were experiential. And mm -hmm. I'm primarily yeah. an experiential person. That's how I learn I learn. So share the information has has value and and these resources of individuals and text and and radio shows, but there's nothing like getting out there and doing it because that's really where the fire ignites and that's where the deep understanding comes for, at least for for myself so anybody who has opportunity to just share their backyard or share that seedling you know get a little push that you that you can give people to just get in there and do it um I, I did a lot of gardening when my life was felt very regulated with schedules and, and working and responsibility, you know, all that midlife in, in the weeds stuff. <laughs> that it was really important for me to garden during those periods and, and not have it be something academic or yeah. prescribed a pres yeah. you know they're not necessarily a prescription but just to roll up my sleeves and get in there and ex and experience right. it and I, I i think there's just a, a a depth there so i think one thing we do in the program is try to encourage people just not to be afraid right. like what's the worst thing to happen a little tiny seedling is going to die you know well you can get another one right it, it, try it, again yeah. i think that's very important I so agree with you. And, you know, you're, you're talking and Lions and I are both like nodding vigorously, uh, to, to what you are saying. And, you know, and I think that, uh, this again is one of the things that's not captured in so much of our garden media, but maybe can be captured in these casual conversations is, you know, that, I don't know, three quarters of my gardening is me walking outside to do something else, noticing like a weed or something that needs to be clipped. And then six hours later, I remember to go back inside because it just pulled me in and I needed a good airing out to go back to your early description. Lions, maybe share the same kind of, um, you know, sensation you, you've had. Well, I, I agree that the information we share, our guest stories, whatever kind of garden work they are doing, those stories, the information, the resources, you can go online here, there, the other place, are helpful. And I think the show encourages those of us who are already gardening to keep gardening and to expand what we know and where we can go and what so on. Because, of course, it isn't hands-on. We can't we can't be that part of the experience. Um, but we talk about some of our guests are uh, folks who, there were a couple up in Sonoma County who uh, work with a nonprofit space and they have uh, a, a little garden, a little food garden and kids can come in, adults can come in. So there are places around that are providing this hands-on experience or providing the opportunity for it. And I, I feel good about the fact that we're bringing attention to these places. So it's not just a book resource. It's, hey, there's a, there's a working garden here that you can go hang out at. The, the biggest thing for me around the pandemic, I mean, the, there were practical issues that because the radio station is a small space and at the time there were like 95 volunteer programmers, we couldn't all be in the studios anymore. And 
so the station, uh, Amanda Eichstedt, the manager, Jeff Manson, the program director, they did a great job in figuring out how to do things remotely so that as many programmers as could do it themselves could be on, say, as Susan and I have been doing, via Zoom. Telephone, some folks are able to pre-produce a program and send it in, and that way it gets played. But what it, what it opened up by being on Zoom or something equivalent, we can bring people in from anywhere. And we can watch uh, workshops from the Napa County Master Gardeners or whatever, that, that we can, in effect, go places and bring people in remotely that we wouldn't really have practically been able to do. Uh, I'd also like to, to speak to the plant of the week uh, and doing the research. I learned something every show <laughs> by researching this. And one of the places I discovered is this lovely little native garden out in Livermore. It's called Granada Native Garden. It's a volunteer run place. And uh, the man, Jim Adams, who is, is in charge, writes a blog on each of the native plants. And he always includes information about what the native peoples of the area did with the given plant. Susan has found uh, a lot of information on some of our plants relating to what the, the native peoples use the plant for and still use the plants for. Um, so it's endlessly fascinating. Um, I, I agree with Susan about, you know, I don't want something that's uh, dictated to me or there's a time frame. I like to be able to just go out there and do it. One of the, I am a very in my head person and I love doing research, but getting in the garden is a lot about getting out of my head and into my body and not thinking so much and doing, physically doing. All right. So I, I just, I, because we've been talking about this plant of the week and because I love that as part of the program. And I, now that I'm doing this global program and not what was a local program similar to yours, I, I miss that part. I miss the community calendar and I miss the like plant community uh, that I share with my region. I, I didn't ask you guys to prepare this, but you know, what's your, what is your favorite plant in your garden right now? And that's a terrible way to put that. What is a really notable plant to you in your garden right now? Let's start with Susan. I'm very excited about leeks right now because I've never grown them before. And I planted them in the fall and I must have 75 of them. <laughs> I'm trying to eat them. Who has too many leeks, right? I, that's, a, that's a new one on me, Susan. It's a, that's great. It, it's a high value plant too because... Um, because they're quite expensive. And now yeah. I understand why, because it takes 180 days to get one and you're not, you're not turning that crop over very often, but they've done very, very well here. They're very vigorous, um, a winter crop here on the coast. And um, can I do a second? Sure. Kohlrabi. but wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. But wait, I want to, I want to go back to the leak. Did you sure. start them from seed? I started them from seed. I used, um, uh, bot botanical interests uh -huh. seeds who are new to me and I bought a few of their things and wanted to try them and I was very very happy with the results I got with all of their seeds 
And these are their leeks. I'm sorry, I can't remember the variety off, off the top of my head, but it's, um, I believe it's, they have I probably have three in their catalog, you know, three different varieties, yeah. but this one's done very, very well. And I mean, I've never had so many leeks. I, this is a really wonderful thing. And I don't, you know, of course there's no watering necessary. So it, 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 it was really a great choice. This is gonna be on my cycle every fall now. And the kohlrabi did well for you. We planted our kohlrabi right when we were supposed to. Did they did not they did not shoulder up the way they should have? I'm not sure why. Not all of them shouldered up, but I love dark leafy greens. And the ones that bolted, I ate the tops as broccoli. Yeah. So ah, beautiful. Yeah, I just went ahead. And, you know, even the, um, it didn't shoulder up, but but it had a stem and I peeled that, you know, a fat stem, mm -hmm. maybe three quarters of an inch thick. I just peeled that and ate that too. I ate it all. Yum, yum. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Lions, what about you? Oh God, it's a, such a hard choice. Uh, I love greens, turnip greens. That's, that's my shout out for greens. I think the plant that I'm most excited about right now is uh, one of the California natives. It's a family called Phacelia, P-H-A-C-E-L-I-A. Oh. -E there are annuals and perennials in that family. I have some of each. And the newest one I have, Calif the Californica, uh, is flowering. And it has these wacky, well, they're slightly like scabiosa heads, but on steroids, just tons of stuff popping yeah. out of them, a soft, soft violet color. And I'm growing it with a fragrant pitcher sage, which produces long racemes of, of bell-like flowers, but it has similar color tones and they look so beautiful together. Oh. And I'm just waiting for the insects to discover them. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're great, great nectar and pollen sources, uh, both plants. And then they both produce great seed, the, the Lepicinia and the Phacelia. And those whiskers on the Phacelia as they kind of, they kind of furl. Um, yes. Yeah. They're fantastic. Oh, <laughs> very, very good plants. And um, I just thank you both for the work you're doing and for, for sharing with us today. And I hope anybody that's in the, the Bay Area will Take a listen to In a Coastal Garden on KWMR every other week with Lyons and Susan. Thank you very much for being on the program today. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having us on, Jennifer, and we'd like to have you back on our program again as well. Lyons Vilmer and Susan Hayes are gardeners. They are also generous garden communicators, the creators and hosts of In a Coastal Garden, a bi-weekly community radio program serving their region of coastal Northern California. Join us again next week when, in honor of the United Kingdom's Chelsea Flower Show having completed its 2022 season and one of the gold medals being awarded to a garden by the name of the Mind Garden, designed by Andy Sturgeon and supported by Crocus. We revisit a best-of conversation on Cultivating Place with Sue Stewart-Smith discussing her book, The Well-Gardened Mind. Listen in next week.
Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. For more information and many great images and links to In a Coastal Garden, head on over to cultivatingplace.com and look for this week's show notes under the podcast tab. That's all at cultivatingplace.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, with tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.